Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning and welcome. Uh, I want to give a shout out. Kellogg's in New Hampshire and the Gottschalls in Michigan and Doherty's in Florida and the Toddies in California and then maybe a whole bunch of other families on some interstate somewhere driving in these summer travels. And then all of you in central Indiana, just give a shout out and a good morning. Thanks for joining us and be a, being a part of our online worship gatherings. And how about this past Wednesday night for everybody who was able to join us? We had 150 or so folks. We had our first in-person physical gathering outside on the patio on Wednesday night. And thanks to everyone who came out for that. And uh, feedback was uh, you guys really enjoyed it, appreciated it. We enjoyed being all together again. It was really the first time we'd been physically together since mid-March. And so it was good just to put names and faces. And uh, we were meeting families who their first connection with us was digitally over these past three months or so. So some families had moved into the area and had found our live stream and had been hanging out with us online and want to give a welcome to any maybe who are joining us today for the first time. Uh, we want you to know that we want to reach out, we want to care, we want to pray for you, we want to support you, we want to help you in whatever ways we can. And some of those families came Wednesday night uh, to put names and faces together. And so I suspect in the months ahead, we will be having more of those kinds of interactions, which leads me to this announcement. Many of you have been asking and some of you have uh, been uh, waiting anxiously to hear what date we've selected to uh, regather on Sunday mornings. So are you ready? Drum roll. August 2nd. Do I hear raucous applause on the other end, right? August 2nd is when we will regather here for in-person worship. We've networked together with around 20 or so other churches on the north side here, working with our community leaders, working with our local health department, and, and we've just kind of all banded together with Zionsville School Systems opening August 4th. We thought it made a lot of sense that we would dovetail in to that and open up on August the 2nd. So we look forward to that date, and uh, we'll continue to keep you posted. Between now and then, we will continue in our online worship capacities. Uh, so we'll, we'll want to make sure and certainly not diminish the online experience for those of you who are not able to physically join us in person. You can still stay as connected as you are uh, with us virtually and online, and we look forward to that. So August 2nd, gang, uh, we'll be all back together, at least those of you in the central Indiana area. All right, open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15 We're starting a new series today we're calling Change, and today's title is It Starts From Within. So 1905, 1905, 115 years ago, there was an editorial column written in the Times in London, the newspaper called the Times in London. They wrote an editorial column where they were basically asking for input to this question. The question was, What's wrong with the world? <laughs> 1905, what's wrong with the world? And just to kind of refresh your memory on what was going on in 1905, Teddy Roosevelt had been inaugurated as the 26th president of the United States. And the countries of Norway and Sweden had just split apart. They dissolved their union. There was all kinds of tension for several months. There were threats of wars, and they just decided to separate. That was in 1905. In 1905, a Russian revolution began on a date known as Bloody Sunday. 
Bloody Sunday is when the Russian military troops fired on a bunch of uh, peaceful demonstrators who were basically defenseless in St. Petersburg Square. And there was such an uprising from that that they said there was rioting and marching in the streets that followed. And then in 1905, a young person named Adolf Hitler moved to Vienna, Austria. And interestingly, Austria at that time was known as, quote, a hotbed of traditional religious prejudice and 19th century racism. It was all happening in 1905. So the Times London newspaper said, what's wrong with the world? And so all these well-known writers and experts and sociologists and cultural analysts and authors, all these folks were writing in and, and expressing their views and opinions about the response to that question. Well, one British journalist who's massive intellect, very well-known, sharp wit, G.K. Chesterton, he wrote a letter back to the newspaper. It said this, Dear Sir, regarding your article, What's Wrong with the World? I am yours truly, G.K. Chesterton. So, gang, here we are, 2020, 115 years later, and we've got marching in the streets occurring from California to New York from Australia to Japan to France to Germany to England. And they're marching and they're crying out and they're chanting and they're holding signs and they're raising their voices and they're saying collectively, it's time for change. Enough is enough. We're tired of the injustice. We're tired of the violence. We're tired of the lies. We're tired of the corruption. It's time for change. And that change needs to start now. Can you hear it? Can you feel it? The cry for change. And so I started thinking about what would Jesus say and how would Jesus enter into this dialogue? For I happen to believe Jesus started the greatest change revolution in the history of the world. I think Jesus knows more about change than anyone. So what would Jesus have to say about this cry for change? And what to do with this longing for change? And where would he start a conversation about change? And it might surprise you, Matthew 15, on where I believe he would start. Verse 17, Jesus says, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? Appreciate the physiology lesson, Jesus, but he uses physiology to bridge to verse 18. But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. Now, that word defile there is going to use three times in this section. It literally means to pollute, to corrupt to stain, to make them unclean. So he's saying, how does a person become unclean? Verse 19, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. So clearly you can see the context there in verse 20. 
So the context is if you back it up through the chapter, you'll see that Jesus is in a conversation with the religious leaders known as the scribes and the Pharisees. You can think of the scribes and the Pharisees as like, they would be like the chair of the religion department at the local college. They would be the one that people would look to to help them like get right with God and live their lives in a way that honors Him. They were the ones that were supposed to be helping people change in a way that God would want them to change. That was the religious leaders. And the religious leaders approach Jesus and are upset about Jesus' disciples coming to the dinner table with dirty hands. They're like, hey, Jesus, what's up? Your disciples are not washing their hands properly before dinner. So clearly, clearly the CDC hadn't submitted their guidelines yet, huh? They're a long ways from 20 seconds with soap and and water, right? And so They're wanting to talk. The religious leaders say, hey, Jesus, we want to talk about your disciples' dirty hands. And Jesus takes the conversation and turns it from dirty hands to a dirty heart. You see, he wants to turn the dialogue from where the religious leaders' focus is. You notice the religious leaders are focused on the external. They want to talk about their hands, the hand washing, the food that they eat, the places that they sit, the way that they look. The The religious elite of that day were very externally focused. They believed that if they could get the external elements right, that there would be appropriate change come. And Jesus comes on the scene and says, says, you know what? I want to shift this dialogue. I want to flip the script and say, all the external change you long to see, it starts internal. And boy, do we not want to see some external change? The kind of justice we want to see, the integrity we want to see, the authentic love for your fellow person that you want to see, the way we want to see humanity being treated, the way we want to see corruption being driven out, the way we want to see righteous and justice flow down like a river. How is all that going to happen? Well, the religious leaders want to say, let's make sure the disciples have clean hands when they come to the table. And Jesus said, well, actually, the issue isn't about unclean hands. The issue is about an unclean heart. Because what Jesus knows this, everything that's going on in here is eventually going to be expressed out there. Which means you got to get this right in here before you ever get the things right out there. So to help us think about this, I got a little uh, setup here. So Maybe a little Bill Nye the Science Guy going on today, all right? You guys with me here? So this is a glass of Coca-Cola. Now, I thought about how ironic it is that uh, I was trying to think of a really dark substance that was corrosive. I thought Coke. (laughs) It, like, takes care of the battery acid issues on my, like, you know, battery posts on my car. This erodes that, which is so ironic that we love to drink it, isn't it? (laughs) So it's dark, it's corrosive. And, and here's, here's what Jesus is trying to talk about in Matthew 15. He's saying, so, so here's the issue with the human heart. We're born in darkness. Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve took the forbidden fruit, the condition of the human heart went from goodness to darkness. And in that, this is what the New Testament call uses the language of the sinful nature or the flesh. So every single person who has breath of life in their lungs, this is the condition of the heart to which we're born. 
So that's why, like, we don't have to learn how to be selfish. We don't have to learn how to lie and to cheat and to cut corners. We don't have to learn how to, like, mistreat others. We come by all this stuff, like, really naturally. And that's because, like, we don't have to learn how to run from God. Like, we drift so easily from God. Like, what is, where is all that? Genesis 3, sinful nature, the flesh, the human condition, the darkness of the heart. Which now, stay with me here. This is why I think the concept of self-help isn't very helpful. This is why, let's say in life, you get to a point, you say, you know what? I want to be a better spouse. I want to have a better marriage. I want to be a better spouse. And you just want to change the things that are going on in the marriage. You say, you know what? I want my marriage to be better. I want my parenting to be better. But the issue is in the heart. So let's say this glass represents a marriage. And so you start working on your marriage. You start working on it. You start pouring things in your marriage. But, or maybe it's not marriage. Maybe it's things at work. You know, you want to be a better employee. You want to start having more integrity. Or, or maybe you've got some other patterns and choices in your life that you just want to start changing. You want to start working on yourself and being a better person and making wiser choices. The problem is, as you just try to muster it up in your own wisdom and strength, here's the issue. Whatever you pour it, look, you just keep doing this. It just keeps... So... Whatever's going on in here eventually affects and contaminates all the relationships and the people and the circumstances out there. No matter what, no matter how hard you work at it, no matter how determined you are, if the substance on the inside is darkness, eventually it's going to touch and contaminate everything else around it. So I put a couple of quotes in your note. Paul David Tripp, did you see that quote in your notes there? I put it in there because I wanted you to have it because I thought it represented so well what Jesus is trying to say. He said, sin reaches to every aspect of our personhood. Its damage of us is total, physically, emotionally, intellectually, spiritually, motivationally, socially. We have been damaged by sin. Its ravages are inescapable and comprehensive. And then I love what Brandon Manning says. I put this in your notes as well. The temptation of the age is to look good without being good. So here's what Brandon Manning says. Here, here's the temptation. The darkness of our heart, we want to start living like this. So we want to live. We want to get like all the external. We just want to cover it up. So we'll just focus on like, I thought about if I had like a really white glass here. I would have just poured into, think about that, how we just focus on the outside and we just say, you know what? If we just start look good, sound good, act good, pretend good, we just work on the exterior. This is the religious leaders. This is what they're doing. Hey, get your hands washed up. Hey, wear the right stuff. Hey, pray the right prayers. Hey, go to the right temple. Hey, do it the right way. It's all this. It's just trying to like cover up. The issue is though, the stuff inside is the same. So when you're externally, if you're just focused on a life like this, do you know how exhausting it is to live this way? And some of you perhaps grew up in that environment or some of you right now or you say, you know what, that's a representation of the way you're approaching a relationship with God. You're just focused on making an appearance of things being a certain way. When Jesus says, I actually want to talk about what really is. I want to deal with the substance in here. Now make no mistake about it. He's concerned about the external getting set right. But notice Jesus is going to start internal to deal with the external. 
And so here's, here's what he says he's going to do about it. This is a picture of what the New Testament calls the gospel. The New Testament Greek word for it is the euangelion, the good news. And the good news is this, that Jesus knows this is the condition to which our hearts are born. This is our sinful nature. This is our flesh. He knows we've got no shot to work our way out of it in our own wisdom and strength. And so God sends Jesus with the good news of the gospel. And here it is. Here's the good news of the gospel. That Christ came and lived the life we could never live. Died the death we could never die. Rolled the stone away and was raised to life, defeating sin and death. And Jesus says this, if you will bring the darkness of your heart to me, I'll bring the cleansing water of my grace to you. This is the gospel, church. This is what it means to live in Jesus. This is what, when the Bible talks about being born again, when you're a new creation, this is what this is. This isn't you manufacturing. This isn't you trying harder. This is you receiving the life of Jesus from beyond you being poured inside of you. And it's Jesus who cleanses. It's Jesus who renews. It's Jesus who redeems. It's Jesus who restores. It's Jesus who displaces the darkness. This is the glory of the gospel, church. Do you see it? And this is how he says he's going to change the world. Think about this. A couple thousand years ago when he came on the scene, you think it was pretty corrupt? <laughs> We've got plenty of corruption across the globe, right? Uh, I think that's been going on since Genesis 3 because when Jesus was on the scene, you remember when he was born? Uh, Herod slaughters two-year-old babies all across Jerusalem. Think that might have been some issues? Think there might have been some moms crying out on that one? I mean, you got Caesar, you got Herod, you got Pontius Pilate, you've got corruptions of all the institutions and all the systems, and you have people being oppressed. The Samaritans and women and the lepers, there was so much prejudice and bigotry and all these things, and racism was rampant in Jesus' day. And Jesus was set to change all of it. He came to set it right, but his approach caught most folks a little off guard. He didn't schedule a meeting with Caesar. He actually stood beside Pontius Pilate and could have had quite the dialogue. And if you look at it in the Gospel of Matthew, when he's standing there beside Pilate, he remains fairly quiet and basically says, God's going to get the last word in this. And Jesus approaches what? He, he goes to a small group of people. He goes to some fishermen and some tax collectors. He goes, Peter and James and John and Mary and Mary. He goes to the unlikely and the ordinary and the least expected. And he goes to them and he says, hey, if you bring the darkness of your heart to me, I'll bring the cleansing water of my healing grace to you. I'll, if you bring your heart to me, I'm going to get things set right inside of you. And then together, we're going to change the world. That's Jesus' plan. How's it working out? I think today, 
190 nations, around 2 billion people. They're moving out, a good portion of them marching these days, I think. A good portion of his followers taking to the forefront to deal with things that need to be dealt with. Do you see his vision for change? You see, if you just focus on the, if you just try to work at the external and you don't deal with the internal, you see, you got folks who are trying to fix the institutions and change the corruption and turn around systems and change cultures, but this is the base from which they're working. And Jesus says, we got to deal with this. That's why this has got to come first. We got to deal with the internal to get to the external. And that's just not with our global systemic issues. That has to do with the stuff going on under our own roof. In your own personal space. And maybe you've been crying out verbally or perhaps just silently in your head for God to bring change. You want something to change. Maybe you're caught up in a pattern of behavior, an addiction. Maybe you're caught up in a cycle of mess. You don't see any way out. And this morning, it's the Ui Angelion that says, this is the good news for you. You can't find your way out on your own. You bring the darkness of your heart to him, and you let him pour the cleansing water of his grace over and through and in you. That all the stuff you want to see change in and around you, it starts with changing it right here. And so in a moment, I'm going to pray for us. And my prayer is going to be centered around, I think there's some listening today who maybe for the first time, you just got a visual of how this Christian life is supposed to work. That by the way, this isn't just a, a one and done situation, you know? The whole other discussion we could have about what it means to keep on being filled with Jesus' life. And what does that mean is that, right, there's this, this fallen nature that we have. It doesn't just go away automatically. It's got this, this current like the river that flows that we need a continual infilling of Jesus' life in and through us to move out into our families, into our world, into our workplace and bring the kind of life that needs to be brought. We can't bring it of ourselves. We need him. And so in a moment, I'm going to pray for us. For some, it's a starting point prayer. For others, it's a continuing in the race prayer. But one final story before I pray. Alan Catherine Kajina. I put her name in your notes because you may want to Google her and read about her life. An amazing young lady in 2000 and or before in the early 2000s, she took a job at the Ugandan Revenue Authority. There's a picture of her in the country of Uganda. It's the Ugandan IRS. When she signed up as an administrative assistant at that, at that enterprise there, it was, the, quote, the number one most corrupt entity in all of Uganda. That was the institution. That was, how would you like to sign up for that? Welcome to work. And she was an administrative assistant there. She's a follower of Jesus, though. She had got things set right in here. And she comes to work at the most corrupt institution in the entire country. And she decides... She's going to start getting together with uh, other followers of Jesus there at the URA. And so they started getting together before work, and they started praying. And here's a prayer. Here's a prayer that they prayed. Quote, 
Lord, bring the kingdom of God to the URA. Change this place in Jesus' name. Administrative assistants, they start getting together and praying that. Well, she works 13 years. They work and they pray. They work and they pray. Well, and she starts working her way up. They see the integrity with which she works, and she was an amazing leader, and they continue to promote her. Well, you can guess that the commissioner's office, which is the lead person over the URA, it was just a revolving door of leaders because basically they either were so corrupt that they self-inflicted or they just got booted out. So it's just this cycle of turnover and turnover. Well, they finally come to Alan Catherine Kajina in 2004, and they say to her, Alan, would you be willing to step into the commissioner's office? She said yes. She's on the job one week. A military general comes to her office and says this. Says, quote, every person who stepped into this office has failed. What makes you think you're any different? Alan responded, quote, I believe God can change anything, even the URA. And I'm going to invite God's help and strength into this organization. General didn't have much to say in response to that one. So the next week, she proceeded. She fired all 2,000 employees of the URA. Fired them all. How about that? First first month on the job, got rid of the entire organization. And then she spent the next six months putting a team together where they, re, they ask everyone who wanted to continue to work, come back and re-interview for your position. And then they'll determine whether you're going to get your job back. So they spent six months weeding it all out. They hired 1,500 of the 2,000 employees back. And they used two key values, integrity and competence. If you don't know how to do your job, And you're not going to do with integrity, you're not going to be employed here. And that's how they weeded out a good 500 or so of the folks. So run the tape forward 10 years, so now 2014. And the revenue stream at the URA had increased 317%. And their reputation had become so strong for integrity and competence that the surrounding African nations started to send people to the URA and ask for some of their leaders. Basically, they plucked. It's kind of like when you win a Super Bowl and everyone comes and plucks your staff and your roster. That's what's happening to the URA. That they started just plucking all the leaders around Alan Catherine Kajina and sending them off to these other corrupt institutions and systems. Well, they ask her to summarize her 10-year journey in all of this, and here was her response. Quote, God has invaded the tax authority of Uganda. (laughs) Oh, church. Some of you, you've been crying out for change. Some of you have been laying on your bed, staring at your ceiling fan spin, and deep down, you've been saying, God, I need you to change. Finish the sentence. And today, Jesus says this we got to start in here. An honest dialogue about what's going on in here. And to bring forth the darkness in here 
into the light of his cleansing grace and to receive, to get off the treadmill of trying to achieve and accomplish and figure it out yourself and do it yourself. Get off that treadmill and receive this life and this change that you're longing for. For everything you want to see change externally, it's going to start right here. Let's pray together. I just want to invite you wherever you're at, living room, kitchen, even if you're driving in a car right now and you've got a convenient spot to be able to pull over safely, I'd just like you to get some quiet space now. Just take a deep breath. And I believe there's some listening today that today is your day of salvation. Today's the day when you're like Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Where Jesus comes and says, you must be born again. Or you're the Samaritan woman in John 4. You need to receive living water. Or you're the man by the pool of Bethesda in John 5. says, I want to be well. That today's your day. That you confess with your mouth that there is a darkness within. It's called sin. You say, Jesus, my heart is corrupt. It's dark. It's sinful. I'm bound up in all kinds of things. I bring it to you. I thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I thank you for rising from the dead to defeat the power of sin and death. And I bring now the darkness of my heart to you, and I ask you to wash me and cleanse me and make me new. Save me, O oh God. You just cry out right where you are. It says, save me. Jesus, cleanse me, fill me, pour your life into me. I cannot do this on my own. You just call out to him. And then there's others of you listening. You can remember a moment in your life when you prayed that and received Christ, but maybe there's been a lot of drifting, straying, wandering, whatever. You find yourself in a place where you just have drifted all to the wrong place spot, and it's time to come back, and this is your moment to kind of renew and rededicate and resurrender and just say, Jesus, I'm done trying to run my life on my own, and you just surrender. You just loosen the grip, open up your hands now, and just say, Lord, come, fill me afresh, pour out your Spirit upon me. I need your power and your strength. Change, change things, Lord. We feel the cry. We hear the cry for change. What's wrong with this world, oh God? I am. Change my heart, oh God. Renew me. And then send us forth as agents of change in this world. God, open up our eyes to see. Give us fresh vision to see what you see when you look at our lives and you look at our world. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.